Thank you for being here and uh, looking forward to our Sunday school hour. Good to have Dr. Cook with us this morning. And I'm looking forward to hearing what the Lord has for us. Hope that you are too. Hope you've been praying for our meeting, our meeting today. And uh, we'll have to have Dr. Cook in some other time. He's, I'd like to have him do a Passover uh, service with us. And uh, we're looking at doing that sometime, maybe next year. And uh, I think that uh, you're going to be excited to hear uh, the messages this morning, get you excited about the Lord's return. Amen. And uh, I'm looking forward to that day. Well, let's go ahead and get started with the word of prayer. Brother Travis, do you mind, sir, opening us up with a word of prayer? Amen. All right, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to him so he can have as much time as he needs. Thank you, sir. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be here at Putnamville. It's been a while since I was here last. Been here a few times, but it's it's been a while. And uh, I'm glad to know that uh, Pastor Rick's not mad at me and he had me back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's great to be here, though. And uh, I was uh, last week, Sunday through Wednesday, over at Calvary Baptist in Brazil, and then uh, uh, looking forward to being here today with you all, and uh, I, I thank God uh, for your support and your prayers for our ministry. You've supported our ministry, Jewish Worldwide Mission Ministries, for many years, and uh, thank you for your support. Uh, without your prayers and support, we couldn't do what God has called us to do, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to the Jew first. And also to the Greek, give you just a couple of uh, updates. Uh, this year has been a bust for just about everyone, and uh, you know we've had we I had the busiest year schedule that I've ever had, and uh, we've had to cancel a lot of meetings. Uh, but this month, I've uh, after I finish today, I will have preached 28 times this month. So I, that's almost as much as I've preached all year. And, uh, but it's, uh, I've been preaching on Zoom and doing some of those things, but um, I brought my Israeli tour guide over um, in the month of August, and Haran uh, Yahav, and he and I went into several churches and uh, presented, uh, uh, you know, Israel in prophecy, and then also uh, back in February, I brought a, uh, a lady from Dallas, Texas, uh, originally, uh, she was from Kuwait. And a former Muslim, uh, she got saved, born again, and uh, brought her into some churches in my area, in southern Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky. And, um, and uh, she, she came out in full hijab. You want to see uh, the expression on Christians' faces when you bring a Muslim dressed in full hijab into a church. <laughs> and, uh, but then she gives her testimony and and reveals what the Lord has done for her as she peels off the different pieces of hijab. Uh, last time I uh, had the opportunity to do that was in, uh, I was in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was preaching in Phoenix, Arizona, and I looked down on the second pew back. There was a lady in full hijab singing Amazing Grace. So I thought, wow, that's a contradiction of terms, you know, 
to see a, you know, a Muslim dressed in hijab singing Amazing Grace. And then at the end of the service, uh, two of her relatives that were sitting all the way in the back um, got up and walked the aisle and got saved. Amen. So, uh, you know, God can take a missionary to the Jewish people and, and win Muslims to the Lord too. Amen. So that's great that that happened. Um, so I'll tell you some more about our ministry uh, and what we've been doing uh, when we get into the uh, morning worship hour. Have just a little bit more time. Uh, but I do have some books. I've got two of these left. I sold a bunch of these um, this past week over at Calvary. But um, I think most of you probably know from my prayer letters that uh, my dear wife of uh, 43 years, we were together 45 and a half years, passed away two years ago uh, with acute myeloid leukemia. And uh, she was the desire of my eyes. And uh, this book was my Valentine's Day gift to her nine months after she passed away. And uh, it's taken from Ezekiel 24:16 when uh, God told the prophet Ezekiel, I'm going to take away the desire of thine eyes in a stroke. And that night his wife died and the next day he did that which God commanded him to do which was to preach the, the word of God and uh, the day after my wife uh, passed uh, the day after we buried my wife um, I preached uh, in the same church we had her funeral and uh, it was the hardest sermon I've ever preached but nothing I know my wife would have uh, wanted me to do that and so this book is a tribute to her faithfulness. I led her to the Lord, so I knew her her whole Christian life. And um, she was a very faithful wife and a very godly wife. And it's also a ministry help to those who are hurting, uh, those who are suffering from grief and uh, have lost a loved one. And it's filled with uh, sermonettes, filled with scriptures, and filled with photographs of my wife and my family. Uh, so if you'd like to have a copy of this, um, there, there's two copies, including this one, and one more on my table. I have those two, but if you will write down your name and address, I will send them to Pastor uh, Rick, and, uh, and then he can pass them out to you. But there, uh, there's a price of $10 that's to cover the cost. I'm not trying to make money on these books at all. This is a study on the Song of Solomon. Uh, you want to know what I did during the COVID quarantine? I wrote two books. <laughs> and this one is called The Shulamite and the Shepherd. Um, I think it's a very interesting take on the Song of Solomon. It's probably the hardest book in the Bible to fully understand. And uh, I, I believe in a three-person view, not a two-person view. And I don't think the king and the shepherd are the same person. Uh, so ask yourself, why did God give Israel the Song of Solomon. You have a Shulamite in love with a shepherd, but she's being seduced by the king to be unfaithful to her shepherd. And the same thing was true of Israel. Israel, the Bible said, had gone a whoring after other gods. They had committed spiritual adultery. And so God gave them an object lesson. Now that's the interpretation. There's only one interpretation of Scripture, but there can be many applications. And the applications that we can make between our relationship uh, with Christ as the church uh, are quite evident. Um, and then I have another book uh, sold out of. Um, it's on the uh, it's on end time prophecy. It's called the uh, Neither Shall They Learn War Anymore. 
and it's a study on the nine wars of end-time prophecy. Uh, before Isaiah 2.4 is fulfilled, which says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Uh, when will that be fulfilled? Well, it won't be fulfilled until after nine end-time wars take place. And the Bible is very clear on those nine end-time wars, and that's what I talk about. So, um, again, I have several ordered, and I'm going to mail them to, uh, uh, to, to Pastor Jason Selby and uh, Calvary, and I also will, um, you know, anyone that's interested in one of those, let me know. Uh, give me a name, a list of names, and, uh, and, uh, and I will ship those to you. Another book I have out there is uh, The Adventuring with Abraham, and this is by my mentor. Uh, Dr. Glenn Matthews, uh, he's 84 years old, been preaching for over 65 years, and um, he's a wealth of knowledge, so I would highly recommend that book. Uh, I always put his book on my table as well. Amen. Well, to, this morning I want to talk to you about the Abraham Accords. How many of you have heard of the Abraham Accords? Okay, well, they just signed recently, this month as a matter of fact, so this is a very current uh, topic and so this morning I want to talk about the Abraham Accords and, uh, and, and what the relevance of this peace treaty is about in light of the Bible. And so uh, when we look at the most significant event that's occurred in our generation, the most significant event occurred on May 14, 1948. And I, I, I think that's, uh, most of you are probably familiar with that. That's when Israel became a uh, a free and independent state. Uh, that's significant. It's probably the most significant event since the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension of our Lord up into, uh, up into heaven. And so uh, since 1948, uh, Israel has been forced to basically defend their right to exist. Uh, since 1948, Israel has fought no less than four different wars and uh, by their Arab neighbors. Keep in mind that there are 250 million Arabs surrounding 7 million Jews. Let me say that again. 250 million Arabs surrounding Israel, which contains only 7 million Jews. The fact that Israel exists today is a modern-day miracle. And so that ought not to surprise us in Numbers 9, uh, 23, 9, Moses wrote thousands of years ago that Israel would be a people that will dwell alone and not be reckoned among the nations. And so today we see that Israel is still the most persecuted group of people on planet Earth. Now, there would be some that would disagree with that, but I would disagree with them respectfully. Amen. <laughs> Only two Arab nations have agreed to the terms, uh, to terms of peace with Israel during the past 72 years. Think about that. Only two Arab nations have agreed to terms of peace with Israel in the past 72 years. One of them took place in 1979, and this was between Israel and the country of uh, Egypt. And uh, Anwar Sadat and Jimmy Carter and Menachem Begin uh, met and uh, signed the treaty in 1979. And then in 19, 
94, Israel and Jordan agreed to a, pre, a peace treaty. And uh, then was Yitzhak Rabin, uh, Bill Clinton, and Abdul Salam Majali. Uh, since that time, most Arab countries have been reluctant to sign any type of peace agreement with Israel. And Israel has been forced to prepare for all-out war. Uh, when you, I've been to Israel many times, and, and when I go to Israel, uh, one thing you don't, one thing I always tell the people in, in my group, and, and I, last two years I've taken 48 people and 42 people to Israel. But I always tell people, listen, these soldiers for the Israeli Defense Force, IDF, they don't play. They don't play. So don't joke around with them because they don't play. And if they say stop, you stop. If they say go, you go. And, uh, and you do what they say. Now, you feel very safe when you go to Israel. But uh, keep in mind that they live with terrorism on a daily basis. And uh, they've been attacked so many times, it's, it's crazy. On August the 13th, President Donald Trump um, announced the Abraham Accords. And this was a peace agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, the UAE. And uh, this is significant. And since that time, a lot of people have been asking me, what does this mean in light of prophecy? Well, the Abraham Accords is notable because it's the first uh, Persian state to establish full diplomatic relations with Israel. It's only the third Arab state, period. And then, uh, less than a month later, President Trump announced a similar peace agreement between Israel and Bahrain. And uh, so what we see here is that two Arab states have agreed to peace relations with Israel. And that's a landmark, a landmark uh, accomplishment. It really is. And uh, this is the picture that was uh, taken and, uh, as, they, as these men signed uh, the Abraham Accords on September the 16th. So you can see how recent this is, only a couple of weeks old. And uh, here you see Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, which is uh, the second from the left. And then on each end you have uh, the UAE and the Bahrain uh, representatives. Between the UAE and Bahrain deals, Trump also has announced another deal uh, in which Serbia and Kosovo, two distinctly Muslim countries, uh, have agreed to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Think about that. Two years ago, I took my tour group to Israel to the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem right after it opened. And we had a group picture made in front of the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. You realize that we're the only country that does that. Uh, and, and, you know, um, the Bible says in Psalm 122, verse 6, in Hebrew it says, Sha'alu shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. In Genesis chapter 12, the Bible says, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. If you want God's blessing upon your family, upon your church, upon your state, upon your country, we need to stand with Israel. I don't know where you stand, but wherever I stand, I stand with Israel. And I hope that you do as, as Christians. 
uh, I've had a Jewish person several times ask me, why, why do you love the Jews so much? I said, because my Savior was a Jew. Amen. Arab nations have, shared, uh, have a shared interest in keeping Iran from regional ambitions. You do realize that Iran is in biblical prophecy, and we're going to see that here in just a moment. Uh, Iran wants to be, become the, the big bully in the Middle East, and uh, as you know, they, they will stop at nothing to uh, achieve their goals. Um, but when you start asking this question, uh, what do these peace initiatives mean with Israel in light of God's word and end-time prophecy? Um, over 2,500 years ago, the, prof, uh, the prophet Daniel prophesied of a, of a treaty that would take place in the last days. And uh, this treaty was designated to last a period of seven years. Uh, you find that in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. And uh, what actually initiates the rapture of the church, what actually initiates the rapture of the church, excuse me, what actually initiates the tribulation period is the rapture of the church. Okay? There are no signs for the rapture. The rapture is imminent. What does that mean? That means it can happen today. If you've not been born again, you'll be left behind. So the fact of the matter is, the tribulation will not happen until after the rapture of the church. Now, what causes the tribulation to start? Is it the rapture? No, it is not the rapture. What, what initiates the tribulation is this treaty signed for a period of seven years. Notice Daniel 8, chapter, uh, uh, or Daniel 8, verse 23. A king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. After the rapture of the church, this is when the Antichrist, he's not really called the Antichrist, but one time in the whole Bible. Uh, we refer to him mostly as the beast in the book of Revelation. But uh, this world dictator will rise up after the rapture of the church. But that still does not initiate the tribulation period, that last seven years of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Not until he enters into a covenant relationship. And notice Daniel 9, 27. He shall confirm the covenant or the treaty with many for one week. That's one week of years. So Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy actually consists of 490 years. 483 of those 490 years have already come to pass. But when Christ was crucified, God called a time out to his 70 weeks prophecy. And since that time, <clears throat> we've been living in what's called the church age. So the past... The past uh, 2,000 years. It's been the longest dispensation in the Bible. And so there's coming a day when Christ is going to come to the clouds and we're going to be called up to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then the Antichrist will no longer be restricted from being revealed and he will be revealed and he will come to power and he will enter into a treaty with the nation of Israel. 
question. Does the Abraham Accords qualify as the treaty in Daniel 9.27? And the answer is obviously no. The treaty outlined in Daniel 9.27 is set for a specific time of seven years. And the Accords are not set for any specific time at all. Furthermore, Donald Trump is not the Antichrist. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. He's not the Antichrist. And, uh, and there's reasons, biblically, I could tell you, he's not the Antichrist any more than Obama or uh, Bush or any of the other uh, people uh, were the Antichrist. The Antichrist has never been revealed. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. The Antichrist has not been revealed, and so consequently, uh, we know that Donald Trump isn't because uh, the Bible speaks of the, this end-time dictator or king. It says he's called the man of sin, the son of perdition. He's called by a lot of names, but only once as Antichrist. Uh, but notice in Daniel 9.26, speaking of this king, this end-time dictator, the Antichrist, and the people of the prince that shall come, I get that, the people of the prince that shall come, in other words, same group of people, shall destroy the city and sanctuary. Now, when was Jerusalem and the Herodian temple destroyed? Well, 70 A.D. And who was it destroyed by? The Romans. So we know that the Antichrist is going to come from Somewhere in that Italian peninsula, uh, at least his heritage is going to be uh, European, and, uh, and, 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 and Donald Trump is uh, obviously from the United States. So uh, that puts an end to that. Notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed. Whom the Lord shall consume with the what? The spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. As I said, the rapture must occur before the Antichrist is revealed. Who is restraining the working of Antichrist or the working of Satan today? It's the Holy Spirit. And someone said, well, yeah, and after the rapture, the Holy Spirit will be gone. Now, keep, it, keep in mind, the Holy Spirit is what? Is God. And God is omnipresent. So there is never a place where God is not, and there's never a place where the Holy Spirit is not. So even though the church has been raptured out of here, the Holy Spirit will still be here because he's omnipresent. He's God. But he will no longer restrain the working of Satan at that time. Does that make sense? This beast, this king of, this fierce king of dark understanding that stands up, it will be a man of peace. Notice what the Bible says about the beast or the Antichrist. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. When the Antichrist comes unto the world scene, he will come on a platform of peace. But that peace will last only a time until he gains power. And then once he gains power, then he will show his true colors. He will be a man of popularity. The Bible says, and he that sat on him 
had a bow and a crown was given unto him. In other words, the world will welcome the Antichrist. They will give him the keys to the city, so to speak. Uh, when JFK gave a speech in the 60s in Germany, Berlin, Germany, look at all the people that came out to hear John F. Kennedy give his speech. Why would they do that in Germany? Because they thought he would be able to bring world peace. That was the, the hope of people. When Barack Obama was uh, inaugurated as president uh, in in Tiergarten Park in Berlin, Germany. Look at the people that came out to hear him. Why? Because they thought oh, he's going to bring world peace. You see, the world is looking for world peace, but the world will never know peace until the Prince of Peace comes. The Antichrist will be a man of prosperity, and he shall have power over the treasures and of gold and of silver and over all the precious things. Bible says that uh, during that time, a man will have to receive the mark of the beast. And we know that mark to be 666. And if you don't have the mark of the beast, then you can't buy or sell. He'll be a man of power. Bible says that his power shall be mighty, but not of his own power. Who is the Antichrist going to be empowered by? Satan. Satan. You see, in Revelation chapter 12, Satan is cast out of heaven. He comes down to this earth having great wrath because he knows he has but a short time how how short will his time be well at that point it'll be in the middle of the tribulation so it will be three and a half years or 1260 days or time time and dividing our times his power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations so the antichrist will be a world dictator and today the world is looking for a new world order by the way the setting of the stage. We'll talk about that later uh, in the morning's message. While the Bible doesn't cite any end-time peace treaties other than Daniel 9.27, it does speak of a time of relative peace in the land of Israel. Think about that. The Bible says, And I will go into the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gate. Well, that certainly doesn't describe Israel today. I've been to Israel as recently as this past December, and uh, they truly are, are not uh, a land of uh, unwalled villages uh, without bars and gates. They're not at rest. Uh, they're not living or dwelling safely. Uh, but the Bible says something about safety. It says, when men speak of peace, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. And that was meant primarily for Israel. You see, the most relevant end-time prophecy that we can think of or speak of uh, is taken in, is, is actually recorded in Ezekiel chapter 38. Let me, I want to share with you some very important aspects of this prophecy. This is referred to as the prophecy of Gog and Magog. In Ezekiel 38, verses 1 and 2, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth. Now, this is God speaking to Ezekiel. 
God is saying that there's coming a day when Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, is going to invade Israel. Hasn't happened yet. But we see it being set up as I speak. We see the setting of this prophecy taking place today. And I want to share with you something about this verse. God says, I'm going to put hooks in the jaws of Gog of Magog. Keep in mind, we're talking about Russia. Gog is not a place. Gog is a man. And if Vladimir Putin is not Gog, let me tell you something. He's definitely Gog-esque because he's doing everything that Ezekiel says Gog will do. I think it's that close. I think it's, it doesn't have, this could actually take place before the rapture, may not take place until after the rapture, but I think it's very close to taking place regardless. What kind of hooks would God put into the jaws of Gog of Magog to cause Russia to want to invade a country that's an hour and a half wide by car and five hours long by car, but 5,779 years deep in, or 79 years deep in history. Question. What does Israel have that other countries would like to have? I'm glad you asked because there's the economic hook. Russia's greedy. Make no mistake about it. And when you think about Israel, keep in mind that recently, just a couple of years ago, they discovered oil nat natural gas off the coast of Haifa and also off the coast of Tel Aviv. For the longest time, they were the only country in the Middle East that didn't have oil and natural gas. And now they have it. When you think about <clears throat> there are 7 million Jews in Israel, there are 6,600 millionaires in Israel. Israel's GNP, gross national product, is $123 million per year. The total gross national product of Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan combined is only $140 million. So Israel is uh, primarily uh, one of the richest, richest countries in the Middle East. When you think about the Dead Sea, think about the, the mineral content and, and all of the different chemicals that can be harvested from uh, the Dead Sea. When you think about produce, it's amazing. By the way, look here, right there in the bottom right-hand corner, what do you see? Hogs. And, and what are Jews doing farming hogs? Well, oy vey, business is business, you know. And there's a lot of tourists like me that like to eat pork. And so they actually harvest, uh, uh, they farm pigs over there. But you'll notice that those pigs are walking on pallets. That means that they're not touching Israel the land. And so they're, they're suspending the hog between heaven and earth. And uh, you, know, you talk about strained a gnat swallow camel, that's, that's the Jewish people. Uh, the olive industry is phenomenal. Uh, the olive industry in Israel, uh, how many of you ladies like uh, extra virgin olive oil? Yeah, well you've never had it. Because the extra virgin olive oil in America is not extra virgin olive oil. If you get extra virgin olive oil in Israel, it will cost you over $100 for a bottle and uh, because that's real stuff. Uh, flowers, uh, you all like flowers. As a matter of fact, Holland, Holland loves tulips, and uh, the tulips 
that are sold in Holland, most of them are exported from Israel to Holland. And then, of course, the diamond cutting industry is one of the biggest uh, industries in Israel. The Islamic cook, think about this. There are 1.9 billion Muslims in the world today. And when you see pictures like this, look at these pictures here. You know, look at this. Behead those who insult Islam. Um, you know, where do you see pictures like this? In the Middle East, right? Right? Uh, how about this? Every one of those pictures are from Russia, from Moscow. Why? Because 35% of Russia's population today is Muslim. How significant is that in light of Ezekiel's prophecy? Uh, Vladimir Putin is making as many alliances with Muslim nations as possible. And then there's a strategic hook, uh, the Russian military. When you think about Israel and how the Israel sits in the middle of three major uh, continents between Europe, Asia, and Africa. And if you control Israel, then you control travel into those areas. Then there's the Suez Canal between that and the Sinai Peninsula. And then, of course, uh, Russia has developed what's called the vacuum bomb, which can detonate and take out computers and F-16s or any other, uh, you know, ships and everything else uh, can be uh, certainly be compromised by this vacuum bomb. Uh, Russia tests uh, sea-based ballistic missile, missiles with a range of 6,200 miles. That means they can reach America <coughs> and beyond. Russia claims it owns the North Pole and uh, the Arctic Circle. And, of course, they're having joint war games with Muslim nations and nations that are enemies of both Israel and the United States. God said in Ezekiel 38, I will... Bring thee forth and all thine armies, horses and horse, horsemen. Uh, he says, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, Gomer and Tagarma of the north quarter and all his bands and, with men, and many people with thee. What we're saying is that we're seeing spe specific predictive prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 38. Specific predictive prophecy means that God names the names of certain countries and certain uh, places. And uh, when you think about the uh, specific predictive prophecy of Ezekiel 38, keep in mind Gog is the leader of this Rosh, Meshach, Tubal uh, refers to Russia. Uh, Persia refers to Iran, Kush, and uh, Ethiopia and Sudan, and Put, Libya, uh, Gomer and Tagarma, Turkey, and I forgot this one, Magog. Uh, May God refers to all of the sand countries that are parts of the country of Russia under their jurisdiction, so to speak. So all of these nations today uh, are coming into focus. When you think about that uh, and ask yourself, well, what will unite these countries? I'm glad you asked because it's painfully obvious the answer is Islam. Islam. And then when you see Putin with the Ayatollah Khomeini, and when you see Putin with uh, the President Erdogan of Turkey, and when you see uh, this makes the three most powerful countries that are going to be part of this end-time alliance that will invade Israel. Never before have these countries come together. But in our time, they have. 
And you think about the fact that they're all supporting Syria. And that puts them on the northern border of Israel. And Ezekiel says this is where they're going to invade Israel. I've been to Golan Heights many times, and there's soldiers up there, and it gets cold up there, even in the middle of uh, what we call the fall. But when I go up there, I, I, I always show these people, look at this sign. It, it has three different languages on it. The top language is Hebrew. It says, danger minds. And the bottom one, notice it's, it's in English. It says, danger minds. And then in between, you have Arabic. You know what it says in Arabic? Welcome, picnic table. <laughs> That's just a joke. What does this mean? It means the stage is being set for Ezekiel's end-time prophecy to be fulfilled. And notice what Ezekiel also writes. In the latter years, thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword. And is gathered out of many peoples. Does that not perfectly describe Israel? Brought back from many people against the mountains of Israel. If you didn't know that already, verse 8, he comes out and says it. We're talking about Israel. And then he says, thou shalt ascend and come up like a storm. So this end time alliance is going to invade that little tiny nation of Israel. He said, thus saith the Lord God, at that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? Could the Abraham Accords be part of what's causing Israel to dwell safely or to at least have a false sense of security? Thou shalt come up against my people Israel, uh, and it shall be when? In the latter days. We're living definitely in the latter days. Notice they're coming from all different points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. Question, how in the world is Israel going to survive? Answer, God will defeat God. Make no mistake about it. He'll, he'll defeat them. If you want to read that, read Ezekiel 38 39. He, de he defeats them with an earthquake. He defeats them with friendly fire and disease and natural disaster. Absolutely no way the United States, United Nations, NATO, or even the Israeli Defense Force can take credit for defeating God. God defeats them in such a way that it's supernatural. Why, you ask, will God allow this war to take place? And he tells us in one verse, verse 7 of chapter 39. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. God wants people to know who he is. Amen. Let me very quickly tell you a story here about Janice Korshak, and I'll be finished. Janice Korshak. If you go with me to Israel sometime, and I hope that you will, I already have dates set for 2021, November the 28th through December the 8th, and I'd love for you to go. And if you want to send your pastor, please don't do what my church did, it's give him a one-way ticket, amen? <laughs> but there's this statue at Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial, and I always tell the story of Janice Korshak. Janice Korshak was a pediatrician, children's doctor. He also wrote children's books, stories. And he loved children so much that he finally, during World War II, during the Holocaust, 
he stopped being a doctor and became the director of the Kochmana up there at the top. You see a window. This laser doesn't show on that TV screen, does it? Um, but anyway, he became a, the director of this orphanage. And this was an orphanage for Jewish children whose parents had been murdered by the Nazi Germans. One day there was a knock on the door. He opens the door and it's the German soldiers. They said, have your children dressed and ready to go. We'll be back tomorrow and pick up these children. Well, they knew what that meant. And so he told his staff, any of them want, that wants to leave, to leave. And the rest of them get the children ready, give them their favorite toy, put their best outfits on, tell them we're going on a nature walk through the forest. Many of them had never been out of the city, so they had no idea what it was like outside this concrete jungle. So the next day they began to walk and with a little girl in his arms and one by the hand, they... Uh, they walked through the forest. The children were laughing and skipping and chasing butterflies and singing and laughing and smiling. And many of them, it was their first time ever. And with a little girl in his arm and one by the hand, they walked through the forest and finally came out to the other side. And then the other side was a railroad yard with German soldiers. One of those German soldiers saw Janice Korshak and said, hey, are you Janice Korshak? And he said, Janice. And he said, you wrote my favorite childhood storybook. He said, it's such an honor to meet you. And I just, I'm so happy to, are these your children? Janice says, yes. He says, don't you know where they're headed? He says, yes. He said, come, I will help you escape. He says, no, I will not forsake my children. And with a little girl in his arm and one by the hand, they loaded up onto the cattle cars and the train pulled out. And in a while, it stopped. When it stopped, it stopped at Treblinka, which was a death camp. There were 192 Jewish children on that train in care of Janice Korshak from ages 2 to 13. And they unloaded the cattle cars, and with a little girl in his arm and one by the hand, Janice Korshak led a column of these children down this long sidewalk into a building, and the doors were shut behind them, and the gas was turned on. And they all perished in the gas chamber of Treblinka. When they opened the doors after the gas had been cleared, they, they found Janice Korshak with a little girl by the hand and one in his arms because he would not forsake his children. Why am I telling you this? Because Janice Korshak was a Jewish man who would not forsake his children even in death. Let me ask you something. Have you considered giving your life to Jesus Christ? Because 2,000 years ago, a Jewish man named Jesus went all the way to Calvary and was crucified for you because he would not forsake you, not even in death. Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. If you've never been saved, you need to get saved because when that rapture occurs, 
It'll happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. If you're not ready, you'll be left behind. You don't want to be left behind during the tribulation. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Help us, Father, to glean from your word today and help us, Father, to be strengthened in our faith. Help us to be about the Father's business, sharing the gospel with others. In Jesus' name, amen.